are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. All right. Can you guys hear me okay? Great. It is so good to see you face to face. It's good to be able to preach a sermon, not to a camera, but actually see faces. So I'm so glad to be with you this evening. Let's pray uh, before we dive into God's word. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we get to be together in a weird way, but we're just grateful that we get to see one another. And God, I ask that you, by your spirit, would allow the preaching of your word to go forth to refresh our souls today. May you be glorified. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amy and I celebrated uh, 17 years of marriage recently. Uh, we both got we were we both got married. We were both uh, 22 and almost 22 when we got married. And so when I went out to buy her engagement ring, it was by far the most expensive thing that I had purchased at that point. So I did a lot of research ahead of time. And if you've looked into rings before, you know there are four C's that you have to consider: cut, clarity, color, and carrot. And depending on what those things are, kind of vary makes the price vary uh, for the ring that you buy. And I knew I wanted to get something that was of decent size, but also that really had some sparkle to it. You know, one of the amazing things about diamonds is how they reflect light off and through them in a unique way. Diamonds are multifaceted. They're cut certain ways so that they have different edges and light reflects uniquely off every diamond. To be multifaceted means something has multiple faces. But a diamond isn't the only thing that's multifaceted. People can be multifaceted as well. Not in the way that we would be like, well, I'm putting on two faces to be deceptive, but that someone has unique characteristics that make them up and who they are. There's depth and complexity to them that sets them apart from those around them. Well, today, as you just heard John 10 read, we're diving into John 10. We're about halfway through our sermon series in the Gospel of John where we've been looking at, we want to see Jesus so that in seeing Jesus rightly, we might follow him fully in our lives. And as we come to our text today, we see Jesus makes two more of his I am statements. Throughout the Gospel of John, he makes seven I am statements. And in our text today, he makes two of those statements. And they show us a multifaceted view of Jesus. It's through metaphors that are full of meaning that Jesus speaks to, in this text, a core longing that all of us have. And as he speaks to that core longing, he also gives us a promise that's rooted in who he is. That in Christ, in Jesus and through him, not the world, not religious ritual, but in Jesus, you can experience your best life. So no matter how old or young you are, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or you're just checking out who he is, I want us to listen to Jesus' words this evening and the picture that he paints, because in that he brightly reflects hope that we can have in the midst of the messy world that we find ourselves in. So let's dive into John 10. Last week we saw in John chapter 9 that Jesus healed a man born blind. And so when we come to our text today, we have to have that in context. Jesus takes a moment to speak to the religious leaders who are upset that Jesus has healed this man that's born blind because he did so on the Sabbath. And he's speaking to these religious leaders in the crowd that's always around, always observing, specifically in connection to how the religious leaders treated the once blind, now seeing new follower of Jesus. So let's read verses 1 through 5 again. 
He gives them this illustration to show how different he is from them. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now this can be a little bit of a confusing uh, picture, a confusing metaphor that we see Jesus use here because to grasp what he's saying here, I'm guessing that most of us in 2020 Northern Virginians don't know a whole lot about sheep. Uh, I mean, how many kids have been to Frying Pan Park, or adults for that matter? Frying Pan Park, you've probably seen a few sheep at Frying Pan Park before, but we don't go there all the time. We don't really know a whole lot about sheep, and I'm guessing most of us don't know any real-life shepherds. A few years ago, I decided I need to learn a little bit more about this, and so I picked up a book called The Shepherd's Life, which is a 300-page book about a real-life shepherd in England. And man, it's a fascinating book. Like, if you want to learn about shepherding, you should check that book out. I know it sounds boring, but really, it is really good. It's an arduous work, a hard work, a difficult work to care for, to lead, to guide, and provide for sheep. And that's writing, this guy's writing in 2015. I can only imagine what it would have been like in Jesus' day. But even though this metaphor may be a little bit difficult for us to grasp, foreign to us, the Bible uses it often, and Jesus uses it here. And I think we can glean important things from what Jesus says that should refresh our soul. He paints this picture of a sheep pen. Many times in Jesus' day, a sheep pen was set up that often had multiple herds of sheep within them. And there was a gate or a door of some kind, an entrance that would be manned by a gatekeeper, sometimes the shepherd himself, to protect the sheep. Because sometimes people wanted to do harm to the sheep. They wanted to jump in and, and try and steal the sheep for their own taking. And a simple way to know the difference between who was going to do harm towards the sheep, rather against those who would actually care for the sheep, was how that person came into the sheep pen. Thieves and robbers, they don't use the front door. They jump over the side. They sneak over to try and steal the sheep. But the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He isn't entering by retinal scan, though. He doesn't have a kind of fingerprint identification to get into the sheep pen. The gatekeeper recognizes him. He put that gatekeeper there. The sheep recognize his voice. He's familiar to them. And that's not an exaggeration of kind of shepherd-sheep relationships. I mean, if you do know anything about sheep, they're not the smartest animals in the world, but they do recognize the voice of their shepherd because he spent so much time with them. And so when he speaks, they hear his voice and know that it's him, which is why Jesus says they flee from a stranger because they don't recognize the voice of a stranger. But notice, Jesus says they don't only recognize his voice, but that the shepherd calls them by name. I mean, this is a personal nature to this particular shepherd's relationship with his sheep. This group of sheep is not just an amorphous group of, of sheep. He knows them personally. He knows them specifically and individually. They recognize his voice. He calls them by name. And then it says that he leads them out. In modern day shepherding, sheep are driven. They're driven by dogs or they're driven by the shepherd. But in ancient times, in Jesus' day, the sheep are led. The shepherd's out in front and the sheep follow behind him. Now, why does Jesus paint this kind of endearing picture of this relationship that the shepherd has with his sheep? Well, think about what just happened in John 9. 
The man born blind is interrogated twice by the religious leaders. He's insulted along the way, and eventually he's thrown out. He's cast out from the synagogue and from their presence. The people who are supposed to care for God's people, the people who are supposed to point God's people to the greatness of God, have instead treated this man who's been miraculously healed, they treat him roughly. They don't treat him with love or care. And this man who's likely standing in this crowd as Jesus is giving this illustration, Jesus is giving this picture to this man and to the crowd of what a real shepherd looks like, what a good shepherd looks like and does. But as we see in verse 6, the people don't understand what Jesus is saying to them. So Jesus takes some time to elaborate and explain it to them. And I want to read this next section all together, 7 through 18 again, because, well, for the sake of time, and also just to highlight kind of the intensity of the, the language that Jesus uses here. So look at verses 7 through 18. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. If there's any question who Jesus is talking about in verses 1 through 5, he makes it abundantly clear here he's talking about himself. The multifaceted Jesus is both the door and the shepherd. Now we can read this, and we can hear this, and we can think, man, that sounds good. It sounds comforting. Like, that just makes me feel good inside. And we could kind of be done right there. But you know what, Jesus is always up to something when he's using these illustrations. Why he picks this specific thing to say at this specific time. When I was studying this week, it just blew my mind where Jesus is drawing from. See, the original audience would have been very familiar with this shepherd-sheep relationship, this shepherd-sheep metaphor, because in Ezekiel chapter 34, the prophet Ezekiel uses it in a very similar way. He's writing hundreds of years before Jesus comes, and he's bringing rebuke and correction to God's people. But in Ezekiel 34, he's correcting the leaders of God's people. He prophesies against the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders of the day, saying, they haven't fed the sheep. You haven't cared for the sheep. You haven't done what you're supposed to do with the sheep. In Ezekiel 34, verses 4 through 6, he says this, The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Jesus isn't just painting a picture, Jesus is indicting the Pharisees. They're like thieves and robbers and hired hands. They don't only care about themselves. 
not the people that they're supposed to care for, God's people. These religious leaders gave God's people rules upon rules, heaping them on their heads, saying, if you don't live this way and do these things in the exact right way, not even what God's law says, but beyond that, then you're failing and you'll never know God. And they heaped shame and guilt on top of them on top of that. While all along, they weren't even seeking to obey their own rules. They were doing that instead of pointing God's people to God, saying, you need him to rescue you. You need mercy from him. All the things that are God and his character. They led God's people astray and actually away from truly knowing him and having real life in him. And even more pointedly than that, if you remember from John chapter 8, Jesus called them, they said that they were like their father, the devil, who is the ultimate liar, who is the ultimate thief, who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But friends, that's not our God. And that's not who Jesus is. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way to salvation. I am the way to be led out of darkness. I'm the way to be led out of death, brought back into a relationship with God, the the, the relationship that was broken because of our sin, led out of darkness and death to find real rest and real relief. The thief may come only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they, I came that you may have life and have life abundantly. See, when Jesus says this, it's all shorthand for what he says in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16 where God, speaking through Ezekiel, says that he will be his people's shepherd. He will rescue them and feed them and care for them and make them lie down and rest. He will seek and save the lost. He will bind up the injured. He will strengthen the weak and give them justice. This is not some philosophical statement. It's not a pipe dream that sounds good but won't actually come to fruition. No, because in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 22 through 24, God says he will rescue his flock. And then listen to this. He says this, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Then do you see it? Jesus is declaring that he is the fulfillment of what Ezekiel was talking about in Ezekiel chapter 44, 34, that he's all that's been promised, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the very son of David, the son of God, who has been sent to rescue and redeem and restore God's people, his sheep, rescuing them from Satan's sin, darkness, and death. He's the shepherd of Psalm 23 that leads his people to still waters and green pastures, places of rest, a place of provision, a place of security. And he, gave, he came to give life, not just a little bit of life, but abundant life. Abundant life is not health and wealth. It's fullness and wholeness. It's identity. It's soul-level rest and peace, security and certainty. Not that everything in your life is going to work out okay. Not that everything is going to be perfect. We still live in a fallen world. But in the midst of all that, you can know and live in the reality that the Good Shepherd knows you by name. He knows you by name and he'll never lose you, he'll never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And he came to give you that abundant life to you and to me, people from every tribe, every language, every nation. That's what he means in verse 16. Jesus came to save all different kinds of people. He came to save the kind of people who know they are sheep without a shepherd, who realize and recognize that all the false false promises that the world makes are exactly that, false and empty that Christ alone can meet your greatest need. See, this wasn't just amazing news then, earth-shattering news then, it's earth-shattering news now. Because every single person then and now has core longings. All of us, to be known, to be loved, to be cared for, 
to have abundant life. And God wired us that way. Man, we messed that up along the way. We threw off the love of God. We threw off the authority of God to chase after, run after other things. And our world is still running. It's full of thieves and robbers and liars and hired hands. People, systems, and structures that offer you life in anything and everything except the good shepherd. He is gentle and lowly, though. And he offers you rest and restoration when you come to him, when you follow him as he leads you. And it's hard at times to follow Jesus. He said that it's a narrow way following him. He also said that he disciplines those he loves. It can be difficult at times. And so the world steps in there and it's dressed up in its religious eliteness or self-help experts and it comes to you constantly offering you shortcuts to salvation and security, to peace and prosperity, to real happiness and holiness. It says, you know, if you have these things or if you look like this, if you achieve this status, if you have these friends or you're liked by this group of people, if you can get into this kind of relationship, if you pursue pleasure with these kinds of things, then you'll have abundant life. The reality is still the same today as it was then. The thief may make you false promises of hope and healing, but listen to me, he is not for you. He is selling you snake oil. It does nothing for you because he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy you. But the truth is, the truth of the good news of the gospel is that the good shepherd has come. And he's made a way for you to be snatched out of the mouth of the wolf, out of darkness and death, and he's paid a ransom for you. It's why he says he willingly lays down his life for his sheep. Listen, the only way out of the mouth of the wolf, the only way out of, the, out of sin, out of death, is for the shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. But this isn't in some way, as one scholar says, just to make an example of love. Like he doesn't just run and say, guys, watch me. And I jump, I'm going to jump off a cliff. And as I jump off the cliff, I'm going to yell, I love you so much. That wouldn't make any sense. That's not a display of love. No, he lays down his life to show his love for you. Because his sheep are in mortal danger. It's in defending you that he dies for you. That by his death you are saved and set free because he takes your place. See, the consequence of your rebellion, my rebellion, of throwing off God's good authority in our life, chasing after other things, worshiping other things, is death. But Jesus, out of his lavish love for you, willingly and lovingly went to a cross to stand in your place as a substitute for you to set you free. And he rose again so that you could experience your best life in and through him. That's why Jesus isn't, it just isn't a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Humanistic solutions always lead to horrible endings. Humanistic solutions always lead to horrible endings. Jesus is the only true rescuer and restorer of humanity. So your best life, abundant life, is found in the multifaceted Jesus. It's not found in temporary pleasures or quick fixes, no matter what they might be, not then, not now. And I'm guessing you wrestle with that because I wrestle with that. I want to chase after other things. To, to satisfy me in the moment. I, I want to be happy and comfortable and think, well, the world says if I have these things, then that'll be good for me. But I guess we all wrestle with that. It doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're 9 or 19, 39 or 69. That's why we be, need to be reminded of it once again today, that the longing for real life is found in the shepherd Savior who willingly laid down his life for you. He's not harsh or heavy-handed, but he is provoking and intentional. He's not permissive or passive, but he is gentle and full of grace. He shepherds you now. You will have 
trials in life. You will have difficulties. You will struggle. You'll face even persecution as you seek to follow Jesus, loving God and loving others more than yourself. But listen, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He is always with you and he's out in front leading you all the way home, never to be lost along the way. We come to the end of this section in verse 19 and 21 through 21. We see that some people believe Jesus and others continue to reject him. So let me ask you, what about you? What about you? Are you listening to the seductive voice of the world with its quick fixes and false promises? Or are you listening to the sure and certain voice of Jesus, spoken through his word and by his spirit? Who are you listening to? Listen, all I want you to do today, all I want you to do tomorrow in this upcoming week is just to seek his face and listen to his voice. Seek his face and listen to his voice. Whatever he says about you, what he offers to you. Remember, he knew everything you would do in your life before you did it. He knew everything you do in your life before you did it, and he still laid down his life for you so that you could have abundant life now and forever. He knows you by name. He calls you out of darkness into light and life, and he is leading you to still waters and green pastures. Seek your Savior. Follow your good Savior and shepherd who came to seek and to save the lost and who will come again to make all things new. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your lavish love, for sending us Christ, our shepherd. Jesus, we thank you for not just being a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. Help us by your spirit, God, to to listen to your voice as you lead us. God, may the world know of your unending grace through us, through your grateful sheep. May you call more people to yourself. God, help us to hear the voice of Jesus and follow him this week. Thank you for lavishing your love on us and making a way for us to be known, loved, and cared for by you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. Go in peace.